He is risen. Yes, this is the highest, holiest, biggest holy party of the whole year for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Did you come with your party hats and woohoo? All right. Uh, for those of you uh, who this is maybe your first time here, my name is Craig. I'm the, the lead pastor or the preaching pastor. Uh, and so we're really glad that you're with us, but I want to warn you right off the bat. Um, I engage the congregation as being a part of the sermon, right? <laughs> okay, most of you are there. So don't worry about it if you don't get it as we go back and forth. But, but one of the things we're going to do today is if I say, he is risen, you're going to say, yeah, that's an ancient kind of greeting of the, of the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I may make people say amen. And again, if you're new, you don't have to do that. It makes you uncomfortable. Uh, that's, that's all right. But we are here to holy party <laughs> uh, today and celebrate what God has, has done for us. So one of the ways I torture my congregation is I do memory verses for sermon series, except Easter is like one sermon, right? So we're still going to have a memory verse, all right? You ready for this? Okay, our memory verse is from Luke. It says, let's read it together. Then the med said to them, why do you look for the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. risen Ah, good. You caught on right on. That's that's good for that part of it. So um, this morning, I kind of want to start by asking you a question. How many of you have ever lost something at some point in your life? Yeah. You're unanimous, you know. Uh, if if the, the person next to you didn't raise their hand, you know, poke them because they're probably asleep. Um, so how, how many of you have, like, then had to look for a long time for that thing, right? And it, Yeah, and it, it's kind of like, I don't know what's going to go on. And a, a couple of weeks ago, that kind of happened to me. Um, we were getting ready, you know, for Easter, and we got things going on. And I, I walked in, and Kramer was in here, and, and we got to talking and doing stuff. We said, hey, we need to put this sign up, the one we have out there that says, welcome to the neighborhood, right? You know, so I, I, I had set down my, um, my laptop, and I'd gone into the administration office, and I walked down to my office a little bit. And then we went out there, and we, and we put the sign up, and we did all of that. And uh, I needed to go back out there for something. And I came back and I got to the doors of the church and they were locked. No problem. I have keys. I'm the senior pastor, you know. So that's a good thing. I, I pull, you know, reach around and pretty soon you're doing this. Anyone want to say amen right there? You know, <laughs> the self-pat down that we do, right? You know, and I'm so I, I thought, oh, I must have left them in my office. So I walked all the way around over to this side, banged on the door until some staff took mercy on me, let me in, said, I left my keys in my office because I do that several times a year just because I do that several times a year. So I go down there, and they let me in, and I go to my office, and they're not in there. I look all over my office, they're not there. I said, well, it's easy. I've only been a few places, right? I came in, went over to the office, so I look in the other office, they're not in there anywhere. You know, I kind of look down the hall, I look around in here. So by then, I'm beginning to get a little frantic, right? So like we're tearing the pillows out of the chairs in there, looking around, and the staff is starting to help me, and, and, it, and it's good. And I think, oh, I must have left about by the sign when we're doing that. So I walk out there, you know, and you're going, okay, which way did I go so I can remember and go all the way around there, you know, and, and I look at all of that, and I think, okay, well, I'm going to go back in the church. So I go back to the church, and it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bright guy that I am. So I walk all the way around, which I needed to do anyway to look for my keys, you know. I get around, I finally get, get him to open the door for me again, right, so I can come in, and I come in, and I've, I've looked everywhere. 
And by this time, I've spent like an hour, hour and a half looking for my keys. And I think it can't be that hard because I wasn't very, it's not like I walked all over the church or did everything and I'm just like nearly panicking with all of this because, you know, there's a backstory to this. Now, guys, you may identify with this, but, but we have only, well, for my car, we only have one key, right? We've had that car for four or five years. And probably every three months, my wife says to me, you should get another key for that car or you're going to get yourself locked out. <laughs> Anyone want to say amen right there? <laughs> so the worst part was not losing my key. The worst part was I was going to have to face the music when I called her up, right? You know, and it was like, uh, I told you so. And so all of that, and we're just, you know, and it had been quite a while. And finally, our youth and young adults pastor, Reese, comes out of the back hall with the keys in his hand, right? He says, hey, look what I found. I'm like, yeah, right. They're playing a trick on me. It's got to be this, you know, the team's just doing it. And he said, no, no, no. I found it uh, down, down the hall. Uh, and just past my office door, about 10 steps, is a cl- closet, a cleaning supply kind of closet. And he said he found it in there, in the key thing. And to this day, I cannot remember going down there. It's like, how did that happen? But what drives me crazy is I was literally within 10 steps of it. If I had gone to the drinking fountain, I would have found it, you know? The problem was, I just thought I knew where the keys were. I, I, I was so locked into that. When in fact I didn't, I must have at some point walked down there and done something with it, stuck it in there, opened it up. I, I don't know, there was lots going on through all of that. And, and that's been an important lesson to me, a reminder, because this has happened before, uh, that, that sometimes, sometimes when you think you know where you lost it, you don't know where you lost it. Amen? You know? And, and you get these patterns and these things, and so... The, the resurrection story actually has that element in it, and it's really important. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, over to um, Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and this passage will come up uh, again in, in the midst of it. Luke chapter 24, 1 through 6. Uh, there's Bibles in front of you. I know some of you have them on phones and those sorts of things. Uh, that would be great. So let, let's, uh, let's kind of read through this, and we'll talk about it a little bit. So Luke 24, 1 through 6. Okay. <laughs> Luke uh, 24, it was very early in the morning on the first day of the week. How many of you are morning people? You might have been here in this. How many of you are evening people? Yeah, you can't relate to this at all. So (laughs) the women took spices they had prepared. They went to the tomb. So you remember the story. Jesus has been crucified, uh, and it happens on just as they're ready to go into Sabbath, which starts in the evening, right? And they get the body of Jesus down, but they don't have time to prepare the body. There's a ceremonial washing and spices and all that sort of thing. So they put him in the grave. They all go home over Saturday. Uh, and, and so this is early Sunday morning, and they're ready to finish the job. I don't know why, but if you notice, it's always the women that are doing all this kind of work. So I don't know where the guys are. Um, they found the stone rolled away from it. That would have been very surprising to them because it had been sealed with Pilate's ring, okay? So to break that seal was to incur the wrath of Rome. It was, you could lose your life doing that kind of a thing. So this would have been very confusing. It's early in the morning. They're now very confused at what's going on in this. When they entered the tomb, <clears throat> which I wouldn't have done early in the morning with the seal gone, but they entered the tomb. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, They were wondering about this. I'll bet they were. 
Suddenly, two men in clothes bright as lightning stood beside them. Now, I love the details in Scripture that we don't think about very much, right? So number one, they are in a dark cave that is a tomb, right? And something already is very, very wrong because the body is missing. And suddenly, two guys show up that are as bright as lightning, okay? And, and, And stood beside them. So it wasn't like 20 feet off, it's like right in front of you, right next to you. These two guys, and all of a sudden, they fill the place up with lightning. Now, how many of you would be picking yourself up off the floor or off the roof right in that, you know? I mean, I want you to get the context of this story. This story is an amazing kind of story, really, in so many ways. The women were terrified, amen? Okay, they bowed down from on their faces to the ground, which was uh, culturally what they would do. They would literally go all the way flat on the ground uh, in that moment. Then the man said to them, why do you look for the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. risen Oh, very good. You are well trained. I'm glad you guys uh, do that, get that part of it. So a couple of things I I want you to to notice. It says, uh, why do you look for the living? Why are you looking for this person? So the implication is they aren't just standing there going, huh, wonder what happened to the body of Jesus. You know, they're, they're looking around, you know, I don't know, maybe they go deeper into the cave. I wouldn't go deeper into the cave, but maybe they went deeper into the cave. These are brave women. Maybe they were kind of looking around going, did we get the right cave? You know, kind of a thing or, or I, I don't know what it was, but they were looking, they were looking around in, in the midst of that to see what was going on. So it wasn't just a casual sort of thing. And then, so uh, let's see, that's the looking for. And then this is the part I really love for the living one among the dead, and, and, and this, is, this is super important because the living one is the idea of the one who is life. Not just that he is alive, okay? Judas was dead and was raised to life, but then you all know the end of the Judas story is he went and died again. So talk about a bummer. He had to die twice in some ways, you know? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. And so he did. But with Jesus, he's not just alive from the dead. He is himself the living one, the source of life, the one in whom life dwells, the giver of life, the container for life itself, that all other life is derived from him. The fact that you draw breath is because the Lord Jesus Christ gives it to you. Okay, so this is a really big deal as to who he is, okay? Uh, He doesn't get it from others. He doesn't borrow. Jesus is the source of all life, amen? Okay, that's an important sort of thing you remember. So here's just to say it straightforward. Jesus is life. That's what we have. He's the living one uh, in, in all of this. And then not only does he contain life in himself, but he has been alive from the beginning because we believe in the Trinity, Amen. Anyone remember who's in the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good. And so who's the Son? Jesus is exactly right. So from the very beginning, when, when God spoke everything into being, Jesus was there. He was a part of that. He, he spoke living beings in, in, into life. And, and there, there's some interesting sort of things that go on with all of that. There's several different words for life in the New Testament that we just all translate life. So it can be a little confusing. So when God spoke living beings, there are things that are alive like grass, right? And that's what we get the English word biological from the Greek word, right? So grass is alive. Everyone understand that? 
Look, couple of you look like you're going to argue with me. Well, I don't know, you know. <laughs> it's alive, trust me, okay? And, and then there's another order of life where God kind of moves along. He starts creating the animals. And the word for life that in, in the original language is the word from which we get psychological, right? So I have never met a piece of grass that had a mental problem, okay? <laughs> they don't have a mental to have a problem from, right? You know, so, so there's this next order of life that, that, that includes animals, right? So you could have a relationship with a dog, Yes? Yeah. How many of you got pets of some sort? Yeah. Yeah, you have, a, it's a different kind of, and so there's that order of life. And then if you remember the creation story, when he'd done all of that, he gets to humanity. Instead of just speaking it into being, he molds the body of a, of a human being there out of the dirt and of the mud, if it were, around here. And, and, and we don't, it doesn't say he leaned down, but it says he breathed into him. So I, th- I see God getting down on his knees and kind of doing the very first, very first ever mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, okay? <laughs> well, you know, get down and breathe. You know, of course, he weren't resuscitating. The first ever cessitation, you know, that... that and he, and he breathes in, and the word in Hebrew and in Greek for, for breath is also the same word for spirit. And so he doesn't just put breath into him, he puts his spirit into him. So that you and I are created in the image of the living God. The spark of God is in you. And it makes you different from all of the rest of the creation. You are eternal. You are eternal. All right, yes. No, maybe we need to practice this a little bit. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. And then breathe it out slowly. And you know what that does? Nothing. Because you're not God. (laughs) (laughs) But if you were God, you could breathe into and create life and and, and the eternal being that's all a part of that. And so a life comes from God, and, and that's why Jesus is life. He's the only one that can give life uh, and ultimately the only one that can take it away. And so here's what I want you to know. This is so important. This is so Because we are God-breathed, we are spiritual beings. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a spiritual being. And wherever you come down on the idea of Christianity, today, like, Almost everybody believes we're at least spiritual in, in some sort of way, whatever part of it that is a part of it. But you are a spiritual being. You are so much more than just your body. Some of you older people should say amen, because the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm really glad I'm not just my body, because it seems to be breaking down, right? You know? And, and, and you're, you're more than that. The, the, the Genesis account means that you are made in his likeness and in his image, and that's not just your body, Right? Because if God looked like me, that would be severely disappointing, right, you know? And don't you laugh, some of you too, it wouldn't, not so much, you know, okay? But you are like him in that you are an eternal soul, you are spiritual, you are moral, you are capable of moral choice, you have a free will, you are capable of self-sacrificing love, which is what God is all about, Right? And honestly, you're capable of evil. And that's kind of the scary part of how God has created us. So there's this, this good, wonderful sort of thing that God wants to do in us and through us. And, and yet there's this possibility of this other thing that, that mars us. And some of the way Scripture talks about that often is the difference between light and dark. 
And these, this metaphor is kind of all through our society as well. The idea of light is good and, and dark is, is not good. And we celebrate this in the life of the church. We use that metaphor on Christmas. Uh, during Advent season, we have a set of candles that we light all the four Sundays of Advent. And on Christmas Eve, we, we light the Christ candle and we turn out all the lights and there's just this one little light. And I take the light and I pass it and I say, Jesus is the light of the world. And you pass it and pass it and pass it until the whole place is lit up again. Because the light represents the good. It represents God. We do the same thing on Good Friday. If you were at a Good Friday service, we go the opposite direction. We have all the lights laid out, and we read the Scriptures as we move to the cross and then around the, the, the wreath again, and finally to the Christ candle, and I read a passage, and I blow it out, and all the lights go out, and I say, God, Jesus is dead. And that is the most pregnant silence you have ever been in in your life in that moment when that happens. And so there's darkness and light. But the deal of this, with this whole darkness and light is darkness is not a thing. It's, it's not a thing. It's an absence of something, isn't it? I mean, darkness isn't something you can't like get a hold of darkness and carry it around with you. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So let me say this. Death is the same way. Death is not a thing. Death is the absence of life. Let me put it like this. Just as darkness is the absence of light, death is the absence of life. See, death, death doesn't have a, some sort of supernatural power. It's not a sort of thing you can hold on to. It is the breath of God, the life of God in you. And when that life of God is no longer in you, when the breath is no longer in you, you cease to be alive. Your physical body does. I don't know if any of you have... Um, been with someone as they took a step into eternity. As a pastor, I probably do that more than most people. But one of the things I've witnessed in that moment is there's kind of a, a breathing that usually slows down, and then at some point they don't take another breath. It just stops, and they're gone. And, and what was put together in creation when God endowed you with a spirit, endowed you with his image that made you alive and, and breathing is now undone in death. And even as if you've been to funerals with, with pastors, we, we'll say, as we're ready to put the body in the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from the earth we came and to the earth we return, right? Because the body goes back. That's all it was. But the spirit goes to be with God. Amen. You guys are excited about that, right? But the spirit goes to be with God. Amen. Yes. That, that's, the, that's the essence of this idea of you are a spiritual being. You have light and, and darkness, but, but more importantly, you have life from God, and you have the potential for that to come to, to an end. God is constantly giving you life and breath and maintaining your spirit. And so, because Jesus is life, death could not hold him. That is such good news. There's a song by Glorious Day that has this line, and every time we sing it, I just, it just warms my heart. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. And that is really good theology. Kramer, thank you for having songs that have really good theology with you. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that was not WrestleMania between Jesus and the devil, okay? There was never any doubt about the outcome of that. The devil couldn't hold on to him through all of that. Death simply has no power over Jesus because he is the author of life. Easter morning... Jesus didn't break out of hell like some cheap movie jailbreak, right? You know, Jesus was in the laundromat and you put all the laundry on top and you wheeled him out to a van and he got away, okay? That is not the way the resurrection worked, okay? He, he, he didn't have to bribe a demon to get out of there or, or he didn't have to make a deal with the devil or sneak past a guard, 
You know what I think happened? I think at the end of three days when the prophecy had been fulfilled, the father said, hey, son, time to come on back home. And I imagine in that moment he got up and just kind of like this, and someone was going, stop, stop, and he's kind of running them over as they go, you know, and the chains are popping and everything. Nothing was connected to him. And he's just marching out of there, and he gets to the gates of hell. He just kind of pulls them down. There was nothing they could do because death cannot hold life. Christ's life. And, and so I don't know, again, I don't know, and I've been accused of having too much imagination, okay? But I think when Jesus got done with the resurrection, I think hell was in ruins. We know the gates of hell were in ruins, you know, because it doesn't have power over him because he is life in all of that. And so from the moment Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. Everything changed. The life that they had lived before where they were trapped without a Savior, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for that to happen, all of a sudden, all of that was fulfilled. They could get past all of the things that were a part of their life. They were no longer trapped by sin. Their past could be forgiven. Their past could be... Some of you need to say amen because I know some of your past. Your past could be forgiven. Oh, good. That's better. We just make sure we're on the same thing there. They could be free, the power to live a different life, not simply making sacrifices over and over again, but to be changed. Scripture says we are made a new creation. I love that. It looks back to the original creation that was fallen and marred, and now there is this new creation that is alive uh, unto God. There is a new possibility for you. There is hope. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where the broken places are and the struggles, but I know this. In Jesus Christ, there is life, and therefore there is hope. Amen? Okay? He said this, I have come to give them life and that more abundantly. Those are the words of Jesus, right? It's going to the cross. I have come to give them life, and that more uh, abundantly. The God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one in whom all life dwells, stripped himself of all the privileges of heaven that he might come with this single purpose, that he might give us life. And by the way, that's the same Greek word that talks about spiritual life in there. The biological life, that comes and goes, you know? I mean, that's, that's the great part of the message of Jesus Christ. It's just when the devil thinks he's won, you know? He's like, oh, I took somebody's life. All he's got is the mud that's left over in the dirt, right? Because what made them alive is, is with Christ. I've come to give them life, eternal life, and that more uh, ab- abundantly, uh, this life that goes on and, and on. The truth of the matter is this, you were built for more than simply existing. You were built for more than simply paying the bills, making sure everything got taken care of. You were built for so much more. You were built for life that is abundant. And and, and abundant is a word that sometimes gets used economically. You know, you have abundance of whatever, you know, cars or houses, you have a bigger house, you're pursuing more and more and more and stuff. That's what I was was talking, abundant life, abundant zoe. Say zoe. That's the Greek word that means kind of spiritual life in, in all of that. And so there is this life that, that, that God has for you that I want you to know about. You are built for more. God, God built, you, built you for more than survival. He built you to thrive. 
okay? To become what he intended you to be, to make you a part of things that are eternal. Uh, and and I, I'm telling you, there's a problem, though. Get that abundance, oh, wait a minute, back up. The abundant, word for abundant, that, that means overflow. But I, I read a commentator that said this, abundant life means you have enough to share with others. I love that idea, to share life with others, okay? But the problem is this, what I call spiritual cancer. I, um, I, I'd ask you, to, if you're comfortable with, how many of you have had cancer of one form or another? I'll bet you a lot, yeah, a whole ton of you. Most of you know I had cancer. I had a really bad cancer in 2019, and God spared my life. I'm doing great, thanks be to God. But I discovered some things about cancer. I've been thinking about it now for a while. And one of the things I've discovered is that cancer kills you slowly, right? It's not like getting hit by a car. It takes time. And over time, it just begins to suck your life away, piece by piece by piece. And one of the things that we discovered when, when I got cancer in 2019 was it was already beginning to take things away. So my wife and I began to call cancer the thief because it would steal things. One of the things that stole, I missed a number of very important events that just happened to be happening that year, but the one that really broke my heart was in 2019, my daughter graduated from the very same seminary that I graduated from, and I couldn't be there. The president of the seminary is a friend of mine. The professors were friends. I used to live 15 minutes from that seminary, and instead of being there with her, I was watching on this little screen Cancer kills you slowly. You don't recognize it at first, but over time, it catches, catches up with you. And so, to give us life, Jesus had to deal with the spiritual cancer that kills us spiritually. And, and in the Bible, they call this sin. Sin is not a very popular word these days. Have you noticed people don't use that a lot, you know? And, and I get that because there have been preachers and churches that, like, label everything sin, right? When I was growing up, and I grew up in a pretty legalistic environment, the idea of going to a Disney movie was sin for some. Yeah, you're going, oh, what kind of a church am I in, Okay. No, we don't believe that, all right? But, but that, that was just the way it is. So, so here's where I've come to think of what this idea of sin is and see if maybe this resonates. What the Bible calls sin are those behaviors and attitudes you know in your heart are wrong. Not, not because a, a preacher told you or a friend told you or your mama made you feel guilty about him, but you know, you know what you did shouldn't have been done. You know it hurt somebody. You know it, it, it was wrong. And that's the cancer. That's the part that damages us. And so some things I've learned about sin and see if you recognize some of these. Number one, innocent people you love always get hurt. Innocent people always get hurt. It's the nature of sin. Number two, it always takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you want to pay. If I had a nickel for every time someone was in my office as their marriage was blowing apart, and they said to me, if I'd known it would have cost me my marriage, I wouldn't have done it. Sin always takes you further than you want to go and costs you more than you want to pay. It's a cancer. It's always destructive to your soul. There's something about it that the more you indulge in it, the more you do that thing you know is wrong, the more it, it, it makes you smaller, it takes away from you, it destroys you. And then finally, there are always consequences for sin. My son's on the science side of things. He's way smarter than me. He's a, um, a physics and chemistry teacher uh, in a high school in, in, in Oregon. And one of the, the, the principles out of all of that, I think it's Newton's third law, is that for every action there is an equal and opposite 
Yeah. I think the spiritual world is very uh, much like the physical world because they're both created by God. And here's something I absolutely know for sure and just take my word as a preacher because I have, I have cried with lots of people that have discovered this the hard way. I think in the spiritual realm, for every sin, there's an equal and opposite consequence that happens. And it breaks people and it harms people and it makes them not what Jesus wants them to be and it destroys their lives. And so here's what I know for sure. Jesus died on the cross to take the consequences of my sins and yours. Wow, we need more people saying that because this is, the whole thing rides on this. Let me try this again. Jesus died on the cross to take the consequences of my sins and yours. I believe that with all of my heart, and I share this story, I think, every year, but it's just become so important to me. I learned this lesson when I was a child, and you've heard this story. I was, a, I was just old enough to ride a bike without my hands, and for my birthday, I got a wrist rocket. Y'all remember what a wrist rocket is? Dangerous. It's a slingshot like that, and I remember driving past my, uh, my neighbor's house right next door to us. They had just put a brand new plate glass window. This is the 60s. I know. I'm old, okay? Uh, and, and the lot cost, they had to remodel it. cost a lot for those, and I remember I pulled that back, and ADHD kids don't always think about the consequences, and I let go with that rock in there, and for the very first time in my life, I hit what I was aiming at. <laughs> Boom. Shattered the window. I, um, being a in- young man of integrity, I decided not to tell my dad what had happened. <laughs> Unfortunately, my neighbor figured out who it is. Somebody in the neighborhood ratted on me. And I remember a man, him, our neighbor coming to the back door, a large man banging on the door. And when my dad let him in, he, uh, he saw me and he came to me and he was not very far from me and he was red in the face and screaming and yelling and all of that. And I must have been... I don't know, something like that. And at some point in that, that conversation, the man took a step towards me. And when he did that, my dad stepped between me and him because <laughs> he wasn't going to let him hurt his son. And my dad took the consequences of my sin. He had to take it while that man yelled and cussed and went off, even though he had done nothing wrong. But it was his son who had. And he was the one that had to pay for that very, very expensive window. And it was way more than we could really afford, but he did. And I think that's the way our Heavenly Father does for us. The consequences of our sins would be beyond what we could pay for. And Jesus steps between us and the consequences of that. And he takes the consequences of your sin and my sin. And that's where he was on the cross that day. And so it is so important that you understand this, that there is good news for your sins. There's an opportunity to be forgiven. There's an opportunity to have a new life in in Jesus Christ. So let me be crystal clear. Jesus came to earth, lived, died, and rose from the dead to make real change possible. Your life and in my life. He made the change in my life. He made the change in my dad's life. I think a part of that for my dad was he lived a very wicked life before he became a follower of Jesus. And he was radically, radically changed having encountered God and his past was forgiven. So let me take the the verse that we used in that last line again and turn it to the Craig Laughlin version of this. Why are you searching for life in dead places? Why why are you searching to satisfy that thing in your soul with stuff that will never satisfy your soul? More money, the next promotion. 
If I, if I, can, just, if I can just get to the next step in my career, then, then I'll be satisfied. If I, if I can just get the bigger house, then I'll be satisfied. If I can just get that, that new car, that Ferrari, that'd satisfy me for a week or two anyway, you know. If I can just get, and I don't know what that is for you. It's different for everybody. But ultimately, you know in your heart of heart that it's a dead place. That it'll never satisfy. Maybe it'll make you happy for a while, okay? But what you really need is the spiritual part. There is something more that you are seeking what you are missing and what you are searching for, you don't even know it, but, you know, but I'm telling you, it is spiritual life. It's relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ offers you real life this morning. Amen. The Spirit of the living God is here. In just a minute, we're going to uh, sing again if the band would, would come. And I, and I want to urge you, we're going to have some time of prayer, uh, and we're going to be down here. I'll be down here. And Christina, if you would be uh, down here. Uh, if you want to get to know Jesus, <laughs> just maybe learn more about him, get to know him, or if you want to give your life to Christ, we would love to pray with you. You don't have to pray with us. You can just ask Christ. Just say, Lord, I, w- I want what this guy's been talking about, okay? So here's what you have to do. You have to get this to work. That's what you have to do. (laughs) We hit the next slide, Marilyn. Say yes to life and say yes to Jesus. That's all it takes. Say yes to life. Say yes to Jesus. And this morning, if you would like that, I invite you to come while we play. And then we're going to do something extraordinary. The symbol of new life in Christ is baptism. And this year, we have set a record for baptisms. And because of the way it was working, I just felt like we needed to get people baptized as soon as they, they got converted. So within a week or two, we would, we would do that. So we've had baptisms all year long here. I didn't save a whole bunch up for Easter morning because of that. So we have one. We had a couple that at the last minute couldn't do it. So we have one, and it's a child. But I am telling you, every baptism matters for eternity. Amen? Amen. So when this song is done and we do the baptism and you'll hear it go through the process, when that kid comes up out of the water, I expect you to raise the roof in this place. Amen? Holy party. No, big time. Holy party. Yeah. Yell, scream, holler. I think in the future we're going to start passing out trumpets or something just to get enough noise in, in this place. So say yes to Jesus. And I would invite you to come. We'll pray with you for other things as well. But I invite you to come into the presence and say, yes, yes, I want that life. I want to get rid of the cancer. I want the thing that's destroying me. I know it's maybe you've already had consequences that have happened in your life. Jesus wants to make you a new creation, and he wants to do it right now in this place. Let's sing. Hey church family, thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video and tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream or you can join us in person. We'll see you next week. God bless.